Welcome to the sermon podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. Good morning, everybody. Today is the day, did you know today's Easter? Today is the day that notoriously everybody around the world always says, he is risen, and then you respond with, he is risen indeed. This is the church tradition, and so I want to do that this morning. Ready? So it'll be on the screen in case you forget the words. And so I will say, he is risen, and you will all really excitedly respond and say, he is risen indeed. Ready? He is risen That was wonderful. Now I have a question for you. You all just emphatically stated and agreed that Jesus did indeed raise from the dead. But my question is, how do you know that? How do you know that Jesus actually did come back from the dead? How can you prove it? The church has been making this claim for over 2,000 years But what proof do we actually have? How can we know without a doubt that Jesus is indeed risen? How can we believe those words that most of you all just responded with? And more importantly, if Jesus really did come back from the dead, then why should that matter to us today, 2,000 years later? What does that have to do with us today, here and now? My goal this morning and next week is, is, is to provide you with the proof to know without a doubt that Jesus really did live, that Jesus really did lie or die, and that Jesus really did raise from the dead, and also to answer why that should matter to us today, how it impacts our lives. And the truth is that, that the answers are right in front of us, that they're staring us in the face, but for some reason, we just can't always see it. And husbands, I'm talking to you for a moment, you will understand this. It's kind of like how I'm convinced all of the wives around the world have gotten together and formed this secret society where us men, us husbands, we will go into the pantry to look for something and we will say, where is it? It's not here. And our wives will always respond, it's right there on the shelf staring you up in the face and we say, it's not here, I'm telling you. And then somehow the wives get up and they go and then it's magically there. I'm convinced that they have it in their pocket and they just kind of like walk up and they place it and like, what are you talking about? It's been here the entire time. You know what I'm talking about? Am I the only husband here that has done that? No, let me ask the wives. Am I the only one? No, you all do it too. You know what I am talking about. The answers that that we are searching for, the, the truth is often right in front of our face. But for some reason, we just can't always see it. And the same is true for, for those times that we are in those, those seasons where we are looking for answers, but yet we can't seem to find them, where we're continually praying for God to do something, but it's almost like our prayers just go out into thin air, where we are searching for meaning, for purpose, for the next step, where we're looking for happiness, but yet we just can't seem to find it. There are many times in life where we have 
certain expectations. Where we have this, this entire plan where, where our life will go well, where, where our life is all planned out, that we're going to find the perfect career that we love. We're going to have the perfect house, the perfect family. We'll be able to retire at a young age. You have all of these big hopes, these big plans, these big expectations. But then before you know it, you begin to realize that it's not at all what you had thought when you were 20. And now you are much older and you don't have much time left to get all of the things that you always thought that you would have at this moment. There's a story in Luke's gospel that describes this very thing. We'll be in Luke chapter 24. And it's, it's the first Easter that has ever happened. The tomb is empty. The angels have come and, and stated that Jesus is risen, but yet there are these two disciples that seem to have some doubt. They had all of these big hopes, these, these big plans, but they now appear to be a little disappointed that Jesus died. And so they start walking away from Jerusalem, talking about all that had happened. This is the exact exact same day that Jesus has come back from the tomb. And we know this. And these two disciples, they should know this, but yet they can't quite seem to understand. Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Now that same day, again, this is Easter morning. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? The, these two disciples, they are leaving Jerusalem and they are talking about what had just happened. Sabrina had read a moment ago about how darkness had fallen over the land for three hours in the midst of Jesus dying on the cross. Matthew's gospel describes earthquakes that came. And then on the third day, they find an empty tomb and angels come to them declaring that Jesus is alive. But yet these two disciples are walking away from it all. Now we don't know why they are walking away. We don't know if they've given up hope and are, are going home or if they had something important to do. We have no idea why they are leaving. But what we do know is that they are talking about these things. They are questioning these things. And then Jesus himself walks up alongside of them and begins walking and talking with them. And they have no idea idea that it is Jesus. They are completely blinded to who is actually with them. And, and we, we, we think about these things and we, we be tempted to say like, how, how could they be so blinded to not see? I remember growing up when, uh, when my brother Casey and I were little. Casey's not in here, but uh, in a moment he'll walk back in and you'll see. So Casey now, he is taller and stronger and faster than I am. But growing up as the bigger brother, I was at one point taller and stronger and faster. And there was this one time that we were, we were at home and we were in this house. 
And I had made him so angry. And, and when Casey got angry, it was a lot of fun because he would turn into this rage mode. His face would get like pure red. And then he would just start like grunting and moving. And then he would chase me when I would get him angry enough. And so this moment, I, I made him so angry that he started chasing me. And now again, I'm bigger and stronger and taller at this moment. Not anymore, but at this moment I was. And so it was a lot of fun to me. And so I was running through the house while he was chasing me and he could never catch me, but I would kind of slow down and be like, haha, you can't catch me, which just make him more angry as he chased me around. And so we're running around the house and we had this like half wall pillar thing that you could run in circles around. So I did that for a little bit. And then I ran to the back door and we had one of those glass sliding doors. And so I opened it up and we ran outside and I'd run around in a circle and then I would come back in, do the circle around here and then go back out and go back in. And we did this a couple of times until this moment where, where I didn't realize it, that Casey had closed the door on our way back in. And I had no idea. And so I run back inside. Apparently he stops to close it. And I, I make my turn around and I'm running head straight into this door. And I, and I turn around and I'm laughing at Casey. I look and I can see through it. There's obviously no door there. And now this is the time where, you know, those little thresholds that you have with the door. So you have to jump over it. So I had been leaping through this thing the entire time. So I finally run and I leap. And of course I smack into the window and I back off. And of course, that my, mo my mother is fantastic and she did a really good job keeping the windows clean. So there was no smudge. There was no indication anywhere that the door had been closed. I was blinded from the door being closed because my brain processed the information and my, my, my brain looked at the fact that I could see outside and I had just done this several times. So therefore, the door should be opened. My brother fooled my brain, which caused a very large black eye as I bounced off. It's kind of like this. There's a picture on the screen of a duck. Do you all see the duck? You see the duck looking over here? Yep. Now I want you to raise your hand. How many of you see the rabbit? Oh, goodness. You all see that. Half of you see the rabbit. The other half that that don't quite see the rabbit, you're looking at it. So you, you see the duck that's looking this way and the mouth is open. Now, if you look this way, the, the rabbit is facing this way and you see the ears. All right, okay, so you're, you're ready for that one. How about this one? What do you all see in this picture here? What do you see? Shout it out. You see a tree, people, a lake, a baby. You're like, what, a baby? Show them the baby. Now do you see the baby that was there? Go back to the original image. When you first look at it, now you look at it, everybody can see the baby. And you're like, wow, how did I not see the baby? It is so obvious that it's a baby there. Besides Wayne, typically they say anyway that, that women are the ones that see it first because it's like an ultrasound image, but Wayne loves babies. We know this about Wayne. And, and, and so you, you see these things, these optical illusions, they work because our brains find connections. And then with those connections, our brains make assumptions to fill in those gaps. And then once we have made that assumption and our brain has filled in those 
those gaps, it's slightly harder for us to convince our brain that it is wrong, that there is something else there. But then once we do the work of actually seeing what is there, then we go back and we can say, wow, it's impossible for me now not to be able to see what was there staring at me the entire time. And because of the disciples' expectations and their assumptions about God and what God was doing, they were blinded from seeing Jesus literally walking and talking with them. So in their mind, a random stranger walks up to them and says, what are you all talking about? Now we, as the readers, we know today that this is Jesus, but these disciples have no idea who this stranger is. And so, of course, the disciples respond to Jesus and say, are you the only one that doesn't know what has happened? I think we could reinterpret that in today's language of, do you live under a rock? Have you not been watching the news? And what's funny is Jesus literally could have answered, well, I guess I have been under a rock for about three days and, and I've been a little out of touch with this, this thing that you call life on earth. But instead, Jesus plays along. Verse 19, Jesus plays along. He says, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they have seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. The disciples they have all of the correct information. They were there when the women returned saying that Jesus was alive, but yet they still didn't understand. They were there when the men went to go check it out and come back and say, yep, what the women are saying is true, but yet they still don't understand. And, and the reason they don't see, the reason they are blinded, in addition to, to God hiding their identity, is found in verse 21 that says, but we hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. Now, this is a loaded statement that requires us to pause and take a step back for a moment to talk about the expectations of the Messiah at this time. The Messiah, in the mind of the Jew, the, the Messiah was thought to be the Savior that would save the Israelites from oppression. This Messiah would, would bring in the reign of God's kingdom where, where God would judge the evil pagan world, where all of the promises of God would be fulfilled. And so in their limited thinking, they assumed that there would be this big battle that would take place, that the Messiah would come in and destroy the Romans of this time, which were the pagan rule that were causing oppression for the Jews. And so then Jesus comes and he performs all of these signs and wonders. And he does everything that the Messiah was prophesied to do. 
And so then all of the disciples that had been following Jesus, they, they, in their mind, they're thinking this Jesus, he is going to lead this revolution. He's going to lead this, this revolt against Rome. They had all of their hopes and expectations that there would be this big battle to fight against Rome. But yet Jesus seems to do the complete opposite of what they expected. Instead of him judging only the evil pagans, Jesus begins to also judge the Jewish people. He begins to call out the ways that the Jews have been sinning and the ways that they have not been living holy lives. And instead of teaching and preparing for this revolutionary battle, Jesus teaches that instead of violence, we seek love and forgiveness. We turn the other cheek. We go the extra mile. And again, imagine being the disciples in this, in this moment. You are watching Jesus who should be preparing everybody for battle, but yet he's choosing to spend his time with sinners and tax collectors. And they would probably be thinking or, or saying like, but, but Jesus... Why are you spending all of your time doing these things? Why aren't you marching right into Rome right now to put an end to all of these things? They were so blind to what was actually going on. But then again, in their mind, they get so excited because now it's the week leading up to Easter and Jesus marches in to Jerusalem. This is the moment that they had all been waiting for, the, the moment that, that Jesus and his disciples enter into Jerusalem. For the last time, he rides in on a donkey and the crowds all lay down palm branches shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They are excited. They are ready to be freed. They are ready for Jesus to put an end, to fight off all of the Romans, to bring restoration. But yet Jesus doesn't do that. He does something completely different. Matthew's gospel describes Jesus aiming his attacks not at the Romans, but at the temple against the Jewish people. He flips over tables in the temple court. He curses a fig tree all as a way to symbolically state that God is going to judge them too. And then to make it even more crazy, Jesus then takes his disciples for the Passover meal, but then completely disregards all tradition, everything that you're supposed to do for the, the Passover meal, and reinterprets it with a new meaning. This Passover meal was a big feast. It was a big party for Jews. It was their biggest holiday and celebration of the year. It was all about celebrating and remembering the ways that God had freed them from Egypt, from Pharaoh in Egypt that we read about in Exodus. And during this meal, the, the, the Jews that are actually following what you do traditionally, they would tell about that story of God. They would retell about how the Spirit of God passed over their homes and every piece of food and item and, and action you did all had some special meaning to retell the story of God. But before this meal starts, Jesus gets down on his hands and knees 
and washes the feet of his disciples, fully embracing a servant lifestyle. Now, who would think that this is a great military leader that now gets down and washes your feet? And then it's time for the meal. And instead of telling the story of what God has done in the past, Jesus takes the bread and says, this will now forever be a symbol of my body that is broken for you. And then he takes the cup and he says, this will now forever be a symbol of my blood that has been poured out for you. I mean, who does Jesus think he is that he can claim that these things now belong to him rather than God? But even more crazy than the Last Supper, Jesus would fight his big messianic battle by losing it. He would win by offering his body as a sacrifice. He would win by dying. And that is exactly what happened. He surrenders himself to the Jews and then to the Romans. And then he is tortured, nailed to a cross, and then he dies. Imagine being the disciples, watching all of this. You've been with him for a couple of years, following him, being ready and preparing yourself for this big battle. You march into Jerusalem for the last time, thinking this is it, this is it, this is it. But then Jesus dies. All of your hopes and dreams are now shattered. And this is what the disciples mean when they say, we had hoped. This is the language of shattered dreams. The disciples were blinded because of their expectations. They were blinded to what Jesus had actually done. They were blinded to the fact that Jesus was literally walking and talking with them. They were so focused on their own disappointments that they completely missed Jesus. How often do we do that in life? How often do we focus on the negative or on the disappointments in life or the disappointments in our own expectations so much so that we completely miss what God is doing right before our eyes. We, we miss God completely. And then we find ourselves asking God, where have you been? Where were you when this happened? Why didn't you help me? Why didn't you save me? We make the mistake sometimes of putting our own expectations onto God. We make the mistake of trying to put God in a box and trying to control God so that God would do what we desire and what we expect. We often recreate Jesus into our own image that we are talking about. But the truth is, Genesis says that we are created in his image. Not that he is created in our image, but yet we sometimes can't comprehend that we are doing that, that we are recreating and thinking of God in our own terms, in our own understandings. The the disciples were doing this exact thing and they were literally blinded by the fact that Jesus was with them. The disciples tell this stranger 
who again we know is Jesus. These disciples tell this stranger that their hopes are shattered. They even refer to Jesus as a prophet in verse 19. They refuse to call him Messiah. Why? Because he died before leading this revolutionary revolt. So therefore he must simply be only a prophet. And so Jesus responds in verse 25. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Can you see that the change in the story, the, the disciples started off as disappointed and sad about what had happened. They didn't understand all of the events. They are talking amongst themselves, but unable to unravel the mystery of what is going on. And now they are astonished by what this complete stranger is saying to them. So much so that they don't want him to leave. They beg him to stay and come inside with them. Their own ability, their own understanding is unable to unravel this mystery of Jesus. But through Jesus and with Jesus, their eyes are slowly being opened. And then Jesus showed them prophecy after a prophecy in the Old Testament that, that explains all that had happened, that shows that the Messiah was actually supposed to do, that, that showed what the Messiah was actually supposed to do in the ways that they had all of their expectations wrong. And because of their false expectations, they missed what God was doing in front of their eyes. Then verse 30, when he was at the table with them, is Jesus. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. The two disciples, they invite Jesus in to share a meal. And finally, once they break the bread and they give thanks, their eyes are now opened. This breaking of the bread, which was nearly identical to the Last Supper, was the final act that opened their eyes. The truth was always right in front of them the entire time. The truth about the Messiah was right in front of them during Jesus's entire ministry, during his last week with them, but yet they didn't understand. 
The truth about the risen Christ was literally walking and talking with them, but they were still too blind to see. They were blinded first because God had a bigger plan, but second because they were focused on the wrong things. They were focused on their failed expectations, their shattered dreams. And the moment that they actually begin searching for the truth is when they find it. The moment they decide to invite Jesus in, their eyes were opened. The truth of Jesus, the risen Savior, is all around us. It is right in front of us. But before we can ever embrace it, before we can ever fully understand it, we must first be willing to search for the truth. We must be willing to then let Jesus in, and we must be willing to let Jesus open our eyes. If we actually pray and seek the truth, our eyes will be opened. It is through Jesus that our eyes are opened and that our minds are then transformed and we are made into a new creation. Once the disciples' eyes were open, verse 32, they, they, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we, while he talked to us or with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Meaning that in that moment, they began looking back at their life, seeing all the ways that God was with them and how they completely missed it. Does it make logical and scientific sense that someone could die, be dead for several days, and then come back to life? At first, no, it doesn't. That sounds absolutely crazy. But the moment that we put aside our expectations, the moment that we open ourselves to the possibility that the creator of the universe might actually be smarter than we are, that is the moment that we will finally see the truth. That is the moment that our eyes are open. That is the moment that we can go back and see all the ways that God has been with us throughout our entire life. That is the moment that we can even think both logically and scientifically about Jesus' resurrection and say, wow, it is actually possible, but I was too blind to look at the facts. The truth is that Jesus is real. The truth is that Jesus did live 2,000 years ago. It is true that Jesus really is God in the flesh, our Messiah, our Savior. It is true that Jesus really did choose to surrender his life, to die on the cross as a way to win the battle for us. It is true that Jesus rose from the grave. It is true that Jesus is alive with us today. And it is true that our eyes can be opened, that we can be set free, that we can be saved. All we have to do is invite him in. Just like the disciples did with this random stranger who we know was Jesus, we invite him in. And when we do that, our lives are changed, our eyes are open, and then we are made into a new creation. And we'll talk more about this new creation next week in the actual evidence, logically and scientifically, about who Jesus was to prove that he really did rise from the grave. 
And as we, we look through that, we, we, we know first that, that we can't see the proof until we do the work of seeking the truth and inviting Jesus in. I could give you all the evidence that you would need, but like the disciples, Jesus could literally be walking with you, but you would be blinded until you are actually searching for the truth. And once you are open to seeing the truth, your eyes will be opened and you will finally see. This morning we celebrate the risen Savior, the risen Jesus Christ. Jesus revealed himself to these two disciples at the table, the breaking of the bread, this thing that we call communion, the communion table, it unites all Christians together with the risen Savior, with the risen Jesus Christ. And as a way to respond this morning to Jesus, as a way to, to state that we are ready for the truth, that we are ready for our eyes to be open, that we are ready to hear the evidence, to see the truth, to respond to that in a way that we are made into a new creation. As a way to respond to that, we are going to respond through communion, which again is the place where we are united with the presence of Jesus. And everyone is welcome to receive communion this morning. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what you believe or what you don't believe. The only thing that I ask is that you take it seriously, that you really mean it, that you are really ready to, to seek the truth and understand the body and the blood of Christ. Let's prepare our hearts through prayer. God, this morning we ask that you open our eyes, that we may see who you are, that we may know the truth, the truth of who you are, the truth of Jesus Christ, that we may see the power of the Holy Spirit moving around us. God, we know that sometimes we are blinded by the sins in our life. And so in this moment, we offer our sins to you. We ask that you would take these to, to remove them from us so that we can be set free, so that we can see your truth. God, I ask that we would be enlightened that we would be a new creation in you. That we today would celebrate what you did 2,000 years ago. That we would remember the cross. That we would remember our hope. And the reason that we exist today. God, we pray all of this in your wonderful and mighty name. As Sabrina passes out the communion elements, these are all gluten-free. And you'll have a little cup. There'll be a little wafer and a little juice. And we remember that 
over 2,000 years ago, this week, this is the moment, this is the Sunday that Jesus rose from the grave, but we remember that, that just a few days ago, Thursday evening, before he would go pray in the garden, before he would be arrested, before he would be tortured and then killed on the cross, we remember that in that moment that he gathered all of his disciples together. And that he went through a process of, of washing their feet, including the one that would betray him. And he did all of this as the Messiah. All of this as a way to show us what our life would actually be like. That, that we would win the battle by first losing it. That we would win the battle not by fighting with violence, but rather fighting with love and forgiveness. And so we remember that during that meal, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Eat. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup and after giving thanks, he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Drink in remembrance of me. Father, we remember and we give all praise and all glory and all thanks back to you. God, today I ask that, that we would see the life that you have given us in a new way, that we would begin to see our life and our purpose as not our own, but as part of the larger body of Christ. God, we know and we believe that you have called each and every one of us, that you equip us to do the good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do. God, I, I ask that you give us the strength that we would need to do those good works, the opportunities to do those good works. Father, we are all gathered here to worship and praise you. We're all gathered here today to celebrate what you did 2,000 years ago to save all of humanity through your one and only son, Jesus Christ. And so this morning we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at rnaschurch or our website, rnaz.church.